So we're going to continue in this series, People of Rest, and I want to just set the tone by reading for you what is kind of our theme verse. It's Matthew chapter 11. These are Jesus' words, not mine. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray together as we begin. God and Father, there's just a huge gap between how wonderful and powerful and life-giving your word is and my small human ability to communicate it. So, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill that gap. If you are not here bringing these words to life, this is all for nothing. And so, Jesus, we just ask that you would feed us, that you would fill us and give us what we need to go and be who you made us to be. It is in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. 1970, in New Jersey, on the campus of Princeton University, a powerful and remarkable experiment took place. It was called the Good Samaritan Experiment. Some of you might have heard about this before. What they did in the Good Samaritan Experiment back in the 70s was they had these seminary students, these were students training to be pastors, missionaries, and Christian educators, all come into a room and they said, hey, we're going to conduct this study and we want to know what is it that causes you to help people when they're in need. You guys are all just generous in your profession and you're going to be people in, and you're going to go serve the world in Jesus' name. And so we want to know why you're doing that. And so they brought all these students and they gathered these seminary students in this room and they put them together and they surveyed them on all the, how did you meet Jesus? And when did you decide to go into Christian service? And, and what's your favorite Bible verse? And what's God doing in your life? And, and all of these different things, they drilled them on these surveys and then this group of seminary students, after they had answered all these questions about why they serve people, they said, and for part two of our Good Samaritan experiment, here's what we need you to do. You're going to go across campus, and we want you to give a 10-minute lecture on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you're new to Jesus stuff or, or parables or you're not really sure what that means or what it is, uh, essentially, that is Jesus' greatest teaching on why you're supposed to help people in need, okay? It's this story about a man who helps this good Samaritan, etc. And they said, okay, seminary students, now that you've answered all of these questions, you're going to go to the other side of campus, there's going to be a team there, and you're going to give a little lecture, just five, ten minutes on the good Samaritan. Here's what they did next. None of these seminary students knew this, but the researchers placed an actor pretending to be a sick and ailing person in a narrow alleyway that these students would have to walk through to get to the place where they're supposed to give their lecture on the Good Samaritan. Then they do something unique. They turn the different seminary students loose and tell them that they each have different amounts of time to get to the other side of campus for their lecture. 
So the, some of the students, they would let them go and they go, hey, you're doing great, it's right down that way, you got plenty of time, don't worry about it, and they would go. And then they told some of the students, hey, uh, when you finish that survey, we're kind of tight on things, we, we got time, but we need you to just get straight over to the other side of the building. The last group of kids takes the little survey, they fill it out, and they tell the last group, you guys, we're, we're sorry, we're running behind. We need you to get to the other side. We're late, so you gotta get over there. You gotta get to the other side so you can give your lecture on the Good Samaritan experiment. You, don't worry, just, just get over there. Uh, time's a waste and go. So the kids all leave and they get there and they wanted, what they really wanted to see is who would help the person in need and why. And then they find the craziest thing none of the intrinsic factors, where you're from, how you found Jesus, what your upbringing was like, how much you read your Bible, all of these things, none of those things were connected to if these people will actually stop and help the person in need. The number one determining factor for if they would help or not, can you guess it? How much time they had. Here's, we actually have the results right here. 63% of students in the early condition stopped and helped the stranger. 45% who were just on time uh, stopped and helped the stranger. And then 10% 10 per, 10 of participants who were in the late condition helped the stranger. In other words, 90% of the people did not stop when they were too busy to help. And I want to tell you something. The reason this survey is profound is it's not just about those students on that day. That survey is about us. And that's the reason for this series. We do better when we are well-rested people with margin in our lives. We're better Jesus followers. We're better uh, parents. We're better spouses. We're better creatives. We're better leaders. We're better visionaries. We're better romantics. Everything that we do or care to do in life, we do better when we're not in a hurry. And that's why we're stopping for five weeks as we begin this new year and saying, hey, we're not going anywhere until we learn how to be people of rest in a world that is marked, and I think we could take out the word marked and say dying of exhaustion. So let me review in case you missed last week, the main idea that we jumped off of was in Genesis and we said mankind was made for margin and, and we began at the beginning of scripture and we were in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and the key word there was divine design and when you read those chapters, you're reading about how God designed us and the world to operate properly and so we see that God created in six days and then on the seventh day, which was mankind's first day on on earth. God rested. Let that blow your mind. They didn't have to earn that rest. They didn't have to go prove that they deserved to rest. Their first day was a day of rest. And so what we did was we took that and we realized we were made for margin. And so if this, here's the takeaway, okay? You remember this thing? And if this is the entirety of your life and your time and what you have time to do, what you don't have time to do, your life is not supposed to be stretched to the edges with commitments and things and places to be and money to make and things to get ahead. You were made for margin. 
There's supposed to be space in your life. And that space, we said, is a very holy matter because when Jesus says, I have an abundant life to offer you, that abundant life happens when we have margin, when God wants to speak to us and walk with us and move in us and through us. That cannot happen unless our lives have margin. And so we took this idea of margin and today we're going to take it one step further. We're going to go from Genesis in our Bibles. If you like following me around in Scripture and you want to make sure I'm not making this stuff up, you could go to Deuteronomy and I'll meet you in chapter 5 in just a minute. But, but something interesting happens because Genesis, you get this poetic, beautiful, historical account of creation where God is swirling things together and we, we have to imply these lessons from this expression of of God and creation, but you go a couple books forward. This is after Exodus. So if you know the story of Moses and he goes into Egypt and the, let my people go and these people come out of Egypt and they're rescued from slavery and, and then God gives these slaves who are going to become a society, his law. And he doesn't give them the law to oppress them and put these rules on them and weigh them down. God gives them the law as a blessing and a guide. And this law of God is going to turn this group of slaves into a civilization and a society and a culture with customs. Their entire life will flow from the law. And that's just what happens. And so you would get to the law and this Deuteronomy is kind of nested. What we're in is where you would find the Ten Commandments in Scripture and you're getting these commandments that these people are supposed to live by. And you'll see, he goes, I don't want to leave this to chance. I need you to be a people of rest. Deuteronomy 5.12 is where we see it. He says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, your male or female servant, nor your ox, donkey, or your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your, or, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt... And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, if you were here months ago when we did our This Is Momentum vision series, you would remember this is where we started. We want, it is foundational that this church is going to be a people of rest in a world that's marked by exhaustion. We, I want us to be the most well-rested church in America. It, it flows from this command, and there's so much here, more here than you might even see, but let me do a little review on this idea of Sabbath, okay? Now, I grew up in a tradition where they said, hey, make sure you keep the Sabbath holy, and that meant go to church on Sundays, but this is not what God was talking about when he first commanded his people to rest. Um, Sabbath just comes from the word Shabbat, which means to stop. There's a day where you're supposed to stop. Maybe you remember these four key words that describe Sabbath. It's about stopping. So I stop working. I stop worrying. I stop thinking about what needs to happen next and how I'm going to get it all done. I put my mind on hold. And when intrusive thoughts come, I say, sorry, I am stopping because I trust my God. It's about resting 
It's about, it, it is about your favorite blanket, your favorite book, and your favorite spot on the couch. It is about endless playoff football. It is about whatever it is for you that's rest. It's about delighting. If you do Sabbath right, it should be a day where it is loaded with things that actually bring joy to your soul. It's about worshiping and thanking God for who He is and what He's done in your life all along the way. Now, we talked about that. If you're doing Sabbath right, okay, it is not this tired obligation. If you are doing Sabbath correct, it should be your favorite day of the week. We've talked about this principle of joy stacking where you, you take all the things that bring you joy and you overload a day in your week with joy. So this was the obligatory Sabbath schedule was wake up with your alarm, finish breakfast and clean up, do family Bible study at nine, catch up on some chores at 10, uh, eat lunch, head out to the grocery store so we have groceries figured out for the week, do a little reading that you're behind on for your community group, treat yourself to some Applebee's, nighttime prayer at six, finish homework with the kids, so they're ready for school the next day. And we said, that is not what God's, in God's divine design, you would have a day that is stacked with pleasure and joy. So we, we looked at joy stacked Sabbath, and it says, sleep in till 11 a.m., eat unlimited Lucky Charms and bacon for breakfast, 1 p.m., tea time, beach trip, hike, or guilty pleasure TV, 3 p.m. or 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Each family member does whatever they want and we leave each other alone. Then we go to cheesecake and we, we get it from, or we go 6 p.m., the best food, dinner, and drink, and cheesecake, cheese fact, what, I can't say it. I'm too excited. I'm hungry, y'all. I haven't eaten today. We get Cheesecake Factory, and we don't have to split the cheesecake. You get your own, and keep your hands off of mine. And at 7 p.m., we put on a movie we've been wanting to see. What I'm struggling to communicate here is it should be a day marked by pleasure, delight, and joy where you stop and you actually experience rest. That is what God had in mind. It's a commandment. So, again, nested in the Ten Commandments, you have don't kill, don't lie, don't steal, and also rest. Now, time out. I've prayed so much this week about how to address this topic with this church family. Because I get the natural reaction when I come up here and I'm like, hey, I, I just want you guys to rest. God said rest. And it's like, easy for you. You're, you're, this is your job. So you're supposed to say that. We've got real life happening. We've got things. Hang on. I've prayed so much because I know for a fact we have single parents in this church who are working so hard just to hold it all together. We have, we have people in this church where you're working in short-staffed environments where you've had to pick up so much more lately because of everything that's going on. We have, we have people in this, we have people in this, this church family where there's, where deployments are a real thing and, and somebody has to go and then you're just holding it down on your own for months at a time. We've got people in this church family where, where you, you know as well as I do in Eastlake more and more recently, it feels like you have to have two incomes if you're going to make it. And yet, God calls us to rest. I found one thing that was helping me as I was studying this for a minute is when I thought about the lives 
of the first people to ever hear this commandment from God that says, I want you to rest. When, when these words were spoken to this community, this was the Iron Age. So think about life right now and all you have to do. Okay, take away the grocery stores. Take away the hospitals. Take away trash collection. Oh wait, they already did that. Take away medicine, take away your phone, take away your TV, take away this building, take away HVAC. They live in a time where all you have to eat for you and your family is what you can get out of the ground with your hands. And yet God says, I want you to rest. These, these people grew up in a time where they had stories and real stories in history of a time when famine would have come and knocked out all the crops and children starved to death. Locusts could fly in and take everything from you at any given moment. And yet God says, I want you to rest. Some of these people grew up poor like you did. And they have those same feelings of, I never want my kids to have to go through that. And yet God says, I want you to rest. And he wants us to be a people of rest as well. How do we get there? We've got one more week before this thing turns really practical, but, but what I want you to get, and I think this is an important part of getting there, is the why behind this commandment. If you are listening to that Deuteronomy passage, God gives the instructions, hey, you're supposed to rest on the seventh day. I rested, you're made in my image, you are to be image bearers, therefore you rest on the seventh day. He gives, hey, all of it, your farm can rest, your animals can rest, your servants can rest. But then, if you were paying attention, at the very end of the commandment, verse 15, he gives the why. He says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In other words, hey, God rescued you, redeemed you, and saved you from a place where your lives were all about work. If you were to go to Exodus chapter 5, all of these phrases are stacked in Exodus chapter 5 to give a picture of life in Israel. This is Pharaoh. Why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. You're stopping them from working. Make the work harder for the people so that they will keep working. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. Why is it you keep saying, let us sacrifice the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce the same quota of bricks. This was a chosen people whose lives are ground down into labor and toil. They are human doings, not human beings. They are property, not people. They are smashed down into this existence where it's all about work. God moves in, rescues them, redeems them, calls them out of slavery where they are to be image bearers made in God's image to show the world his goodness, his love, 
and power. They are to be a light. And so then and only then, God goes, and for that reason, I need you to rest. I need you to rest every single week so you never start to regress back into lives that are just marked by toil. I need you to rest so you never become oppressors just like you were once oppressed. I need you to rest every single week so you remember that you're made in my image. You remember that you are living a life that is worthy because I say it's worthy, not because you went out and did it and achieved it and made it happen, but because God loves you as you are. When I rest, I proclaim the goodness of God. You guys, this story is our story. It is just as important for us today as it was for those brothers and sisters who came before us. Here's why. We don't have a pharaoh. Instead, we have three words. The word more. I told you we were going to start taking rest seriously when they messed up the Lego books. Y'all know that, right? Remember the last page of the Legos? There's a spiritual warfare going on in the back of your child's Lego book. Because back in my... I'm, gonna, I'm getting a hold and I'm just embracing it. Here we go, here we go. Back in my day... You did your Legos. I had the Robin Hood set. It was before the resurgence of Star Wars. I had the Robin Hood set, and you built the treehouse and the fort for Robin Hood and his buddies, and they would swing around and do the thing, and you would follow it step by step, open this, put this here, do the thing, build the Legos. You got to the last page, and it was a picture of what you were just supposed to have built. And you'd look at the picture, you'd look at your creation, and you'd go, I did it. Mom, Dad, I did it. And then you'd spend the next month playing with what you had just made. They put an extra page in the back of the Legos. You get to that, they have that same page. You make your Millennium Falcon, it looks great. You flip one more page, and guess what's next? There's more. Well, you could build the TIE Fighter. You could build the Death Star. You could build, you could, it's that, it's that what behavioral scientists call the, 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 the nudge. There's more. And it's not just in the Legos, it's in the world around us. How, how much savings do you need? I don't know, a little bit more. When are you going to hang it up? I don't know, I think we just need a little bit more. Hey, what, 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 what would be like the place where you felt like you could just breathe out and it's like, I don't, I got a few more things on the to-do list and, and more can drive you crazy. Potential is the sneaky cousin of the word more. Because, come on, if I walked in, if I walked, if, if we did like, if on our church survey, which don't forget to fill out your church survey so we can serve you better this year, thank you. Okay, on the survey, if there's, question number one was like, do you struggle with the endless pursuit of more? You're like, no, that's somebody else. But potential? You've got to live up to your potential. You need your kids to live up to their potential. You have the potential for a little more earning. You have the potential for a little more uh, what God's doing in your life. You have the potential to seal a few more deals this year. You have the potential to get a few more followers. You have the potential to lose a few more pounds. Here's the crazy thing about potential. The word potential is not in the Bible. There is no thou shall live up to thine potential. But when we pack potential into our lives, what happens? Our schedules fill up. 
All of a sudden, instead of a father, you're a taxi driver or Uber. Or, I'm old. It's taxi, guys. It's just taxi. Just make fun of me later. And then finally, there's fear. Now, FOMO was a thing. FOMO, remember that? Fear of missing out. That's cool. But what's really happening right now when you look at the way we live, it's fear of falling behind. It's fear that if I don't have my kids in this, then the other kids might. We met this lady at the neighborhood pool. She, she had her kids' life all figured out. And it's like, we thank God that we got her in the dual immersion program because if not, she'd be ruined. I'm like, I don't speak Spanish. I haven't missed any meals. Like, hey, I'm all about your child's education. I want my kids in that thing. But we're not ruined. Well, how do we get to the place if you don't get in the DI program, all of a sudden your life is going to come falling down in shambles? What? It's fear falling behind. So we add up more hours. We do a little more. You sign them up for the thing that you know you don't even have time for. And here's the deal. This isn't a pharaoh. But you look at around the world or you look around our city and you can see so many people who have become enslaved. Enslaved to busy schedules. Enslaved to exhaustion. And enslaved to the feeling that they aren't enough. And guys, we cannot let that become our lives. This is a spiritual issue. I once had a friend tell me this parable about the way elephants were once raised in the circus. And there's this picture, and you might have seen this picture before, but they would take a small stake and nail it into the ground, and then this baby elephant would be chained up to this little stake with just a rope, and this elephant would grow so accustomed to life being chained up to this little pole, it would grow into this mighty beast and they could still take the elephant back to its old stake, keep it in place, locked and secure, because it would grow so accustomed to being stuck that it would forget just how much power that was available. And I see Jesus followers doing this all the time now, with crowded schedules and hurried lives. I see people who are, uh, Jesus, no Jesus. The lives look exactly the same. And you go, how are you doing? Busy. How are the holidays? Busy. Oh, what's going on? Well, it's just moving fast. And that is our song. And we look just like this. We were created to be image bearers, created to, to follow in Jesus' footsteps and bring life to the world around us, to be people who are fully alive. And yet we are held in place and enslaved to hurry, and this can not be. This matters. To Sabbath is to say no to a culture that says it's all about you. To rest. You guys, this is like good old 1980s punk rock fight the power. This is like, no. This is, hang on, I, I get it. I, yeah, yeah, I could have earned more, and I could do more, and I could get more, and I could be more. But guess what? I know God, He knows me, and I'm okay because of Him. So I'm going to stop. 
I'm going to rest. I'm going to Sabbath. And I'm going to proclaim to the world that I'm not going to that place. Because I'm an image bearer. I am loved by God. I slept last night and he was watching over me. You know how you say that to your busy schedule in a culture that says you could be doing more? You rest as a form of spiritual resistance. This matters. I know it matters because in the scripture in Deuteronomy 5.12 when it says observe the Sabbath, the word there is shema, which means to guard. Anybody else think that's super relevant? Like 6,000 years later, you have to guard your life. Anybody else notice that if you just chill, if you just go with the flow of culture, you will end up overworked and overwhelmed and you don't even have to work at it? Like the easiest thing to do right now is to get too busy and be overwhelmed. It takes zero energy to get overworked and overwhelmed. And this commandment says you have to guard your, your free time. You have to guard against being overworked. You have to guard yourself in a culture that says it's all about what you can do and doing more. You think about sports. What is the first thing they teach any kid in any sport? It's how to stand. You're a wrestler, you got your one leg back, you're a linebacker, you got two hands out, you got, I'm not bending down, but if you were a lineman, you could do that. If you're a, what do volleyball players do? Something like this, I'm guessing, two hands out. The first thing they teach you is how to stand. Why? Because then you're watching and you're ready. Do you, do you know what 512 says? as he begins to talk about the importance of rest, it's watch and be ready. It's interesting. We were laughing about this earlier, but the Hebrews talks about Sabbath in the New Testament. This is Old and New Testament. This is Jesus stuff. And so he talks about this whole chapter where they're bringing back up the idea of Sabbath rest and how it was made perfect in Jesus and how, yes, Jesus is now our spiritual form of rest and peace. And yes, we are also to rest physically on earth. That's what the whole chapter says. But listen to this. He says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Do you, do you catch how weird that is? All right, you've got to make every effort to rest. One of the commenters I read, though, said it so well. He's like, so many people never get to taste Sabbath because they're not working hard enough. And this isn't something that you're just going to slide into. So this is, guys, I'll be descriptive, not prescriptive. This is, this is how we do it in our family. I've got this little, you can bring it up for him, Luke. I've got this little template I made. And... On Sundays, most of the time, we pull this thing out as a family and we just work the plan. So you got this little seven steps right here. Okay, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to select which day of the week is going to be your Sabbath and you're going to circle it. Step two, list fun things you want to do on this day. Three, plan your workouts, pick a recovery day. Look at the rest of the month together. Choose somebody you're going to meet. This is my version. Again, I'm being descriptive, not prescriptive. You don't have to do it like this. But here's what I know. Unless we pick a day and fight for it, it doesn't happen.
We've got these for you. They're out at the info center if you want to try it. You just grab it, take it home, spend 15 minutes, and get you all hooked up. But this past Friday, we Sabbathed. We're like, it is all about carbs and Italian food. Let's just keep this New Year's vibe going a little bit longer. We went to uh, Mona Lisa's market. It's this like beautiful Italian market in Little Italy. We made carbonara. I, I got this slow dried spaghetti. We got this uh, pancetta. We chopped it up all fine. We got this cheese that I can't even pronounce. And we, we had time to drive up there and time to just sit and stop and, and ask the people questions in the store about which meat would be more salty. And then we took the meat home. And I didn't have, not the kind of cooking like whap, 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 clean the pan before the dinner's done so we don't have a big mess and everybody's got it. No, we did the slow cooking where you're watching that pancetta just slow simmer on the pan until it's golden brown and the entire kitchen smells like bacon and then we slow roasted that bad boy and got the dry spaghetti noodles that are a little rough on the outside so they would soak up the buttery sauce that went in the carbonara and we feasted. But I can tell you for certain that would not have happened if we didn't fight for it. So you have to fight. What do we do with this? We fight and we stand ready to be a people of rest. Last thing, let me give you a little more why. I promise all the practical stuff is coming next week. How do we get there? Observe the promise of Sabbath. Isaiah 58 God would speak later through the prophet Isaiah and make a promise attached to the Sabbath. And he would say these words, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it, not by going your own way and doing as you please or speaking idle words, here you go, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. Time out. What's he saying? He says the Sabbath comes with a promise. And the promise is joy and blessing. Hear that. That is from God to you. He says, you make an effort to rest. And in return, I will fill your life with joy and blessing. You go, hold on, that sounds, that, you're trying to tell, that's, that's like health and wealth. Like, you can't, yeah, I've heard guys and they're like, yeah, it's God and he's going to bless you. You can't tell, the Bible is just health and wealth and that's the problem with pastor. No, here's the deal. Guys, listen to me. The Bible is health and wealth. It's health, wealth, sorrow, pain, disappointment, grace, goodness, and a God who is committing or committed to loving humanity through it all. And there are times when God unapologetically says, I want to bless my people. This is one of those times. He says, you rest and I'll bless. One of, my, one of my heroes, a pastor named Andy Stanley, said it like this. 
if I don't do everything I can possibly do, God will bless the work I did do. Going, going back to our little analogy here, when I pack my life to the edges, I take up all the space where God could pour blessing. But when by faith, I create margin, I take space to appreciate God and simply bear His image. God fills that space in my life with joy and blessing. When I don't do everything I can possibly do, God will bless the work I did do. Guys, let me just tell you lovingly as your pastor, you and God can get way more done than you by yourself. Let's pray. God and Father, now we just come to you asking for you to bring this word to life. God, that you would show up and speak, that you would move in my... God, for people right now going, I don't know. There's so much riding on me right now. God, I just pray that you would bless them and fill them with the faith they need to take you at their word. God, for people who are tired, Lord, I pray that you would provide rest. God, and for this church community, I pray you would transform us into a people of rest in a world that's marked by exhaustion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.